G'day punters and welcome to Inside 50. Each and every week we're joined by the superstar Shane Crawford who played 305 magnificent games for the Hawks. But he's not happy today, Crawford, because we've finally found a player to top him in the games <laughs> department, coming in at 432 games, a record that may never be broken. Brent Boomer, Harvey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, boys. Looking forward to it. <laughs> hey, Quinny. Uh, I know he's almost at 490 because he's still going <laughs> suburban football. He's at 490, 10 off 500. I'll tell you what, that's incredible. And he's done his first ever on the weekend. <laughs> oh, no. He's done his first ever hamstring. Oh, no. After yes. almost 500 games. Can you believe it? You're not getting old, are you, Boomer? <laughs> oh, I think it might. I texted the coach next day and said, I think I've had enough. He said, no, you haven't. Don't worry. <laughs> Give you three or four weeks off and we're, we're still going. So, so where are you playing your footy at the moment? Uh, playing out at North Heidelberg with my brother. Um, when I finished at North Melbourne, obviously, uh, went straight out there. We played in the premiership in Division 2. So now we're trying to win one in Division 1 before I give it away. But Didn't your brother kick... A thousand goals, is that right? Yeah, not in one game, Croft. He did it over uh, twelve years. Um, yeah, a thousand goals. Uh, <laughs> it was just the other week, actually. It was, it was good. He kicked eight for the day. Uh, his fifth goal was his thousandth goal. And his, so his imagine, imagine in the backyard <laughs> at Boomer's joint. You know, him and his brother just snagging goals all day long because Boomer loved a goal. He's yeah, very yeah. good at kicking goals. Imagine the uh, the jewels that they had growing up as young kids. Well, he's a, he's four and a half years younger than me, um, so. He was always a little bit of a sook. He's always sooking when he when he didn't win. I always got in trouble for beating him. But um, yeah, he's a great sportsman. He's actually a great cricketer as well for uh, at, at local level. But really, really good sportsman. Well, you both had brothers that played AFL footy. We did, yeah. I, I think that helps, um, especially you know a younger brother because if you've got driven people like Boomer and myself uh, in the backyard, they got to make they got to earn their kicks yeah, even it. in the backyard. You know, especially when you start playing games. So. It's I suppose it's a form of training, testing them out, seeing whether or not they uh, they want to ha- have a crack, get a kick, and be a part of it. It's it's something we um I was just speaking to a mate uh, on the way in, and he said local football. He's he coaches under thirteens or twelves, and he said there's the skills. He goes, what's wrong with the skills these days? And then he went and watched a, an AFL game. I won't say who. And he said the skills were terrible on the weekend. I said I'll tell you what it is. I it said how often was it? Uh, no, it wasn't the Hawks. He said I said how many times you drive down the street now and you see young kids. Playing football or playing cricket. They play cricket in the middle of the street and they say, ah, oh, car's coming, take your stumps away and come back in. I haven't done, I haven't seen kids playing in the street like that. We used to kick the footy over the car. Yeah. yeah. Know, from, from one nature strip to the other. Yeah, we had driveways where our goals and kick between trees. You just, I, I don't see it anymore. And I think that's part of the why skills are not so good because you don't practice as much as the young kids, you know. 15, 20 years ago. It's funny you say that. Yesterday it was a beautiful sunny afternoon in Melbourne and I took my six-year-old for a kick of the footy at the park. There was people everywhere. He, no, there was no yeah. one there. But there he kicked it over the fence and I went to get the footy and let a dog out and I was very apologetic. And the lady said, oh, no, it's just so nice to see people playing outside. We just don't have people kick the ball here. And you're right. You think about when you're growing up, it was just streets filled with kids playing yeah. footy and cricket and whatnot. And I don't know, I blame the technology. Oh, I'm with well, you. I've got well, a nine-year-old. You, bl- you blame the technology for letting the dog out? Or <laughs> <laughs> I got the dog. All's well with the dog, so the RSPCA is listening. But you're right, though. There just doesn't seem to be that, I don't know, enthusiasm mm. to get involved amongst the well, kids. Well, there's options. Even taking kids to entertain them. You know, there's so many options these days. And then obviously the phones and the technology, yeah. And that, that's one thing that frustrates me is like, kids, go outside. There's a ball. Work out what to do with yeah, it, you know? exactly. But it's not the case these days. Um, yeah, it's all changed a little bit. But obviously back in our day, there was, you know, that's all we lived for. 
Like I remember kicking the football up at the power lines when I had no mates, which was yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> I'd kick him up the power lines. I'd hit the power lines. I'd practice my marking. Um, that's probably why he didn't see me mark a lot at <laughs> NFL level because I was always trying to uh, read the the ball floating back down. But you just find ways. You go down to the, the local. Um, oval and you use the soccer goals and you practice kicking goals on the run, you know, by yourself. So you just find a way to train and, and get better. Um, but these days, I don't know, even even training-wise, you know, kids don't train really hard, you know, for some reason. I remember yesterday we had a, um, a, a function, a Hawthorne Life Members function, and George Stone was there. George Stone was involved with Hawthorne through the 80s, um, helping... Uh, from a coaching point of view, but he's also a runner. But then he went up with Paul Ruse to the Sydney Swans, um, and he was very much a part of when the Sydney Swans went really well. Um, and so he'd been a football person for a long, long time. And we're actually talking about Jason Dunstall. Um, and Jason Dunstall's a colourful character. Um, he's a unique person, um, doesn't like people a lot. <laughs> and uh, and every now and then he comes alive. But I was, I was saying to him, I said, don't you find it weird these days when we talk about goal kicking and how frustrating it is when especially forwards miss easy shots? You know, you've got Joe Dennehy and you've got Max King at the moment just not kicking as well as they could. Um, I said, but really when I look at Jason Dunstall, I would always see him after every training session, he would be out there with George Stone. George Stone would be on the mark, jumping around. Jason Dunstall would always, at the end of sessions go and have his 10 or 15 set shots from all different angles, go through his routine. Routine was the most important thing. And he would kick it like he was playing a match. And guess what? Jason Dunstall went on to kick a 1,000 goals and he was a beautiful set shot, you know, from any angle. And I'm like, you guys got to practice. Practice, practice, practice. And that'll get you, or practice properly, probably, when you think about it. Practice properly. And that's going to give you every chance to be the best in whatever area and whatever position you possibly play. It's crazy, Croft, because I'm still involved at North Melbourne, um, obviously the, the match day runner, but there a couple of times during the week. The training, they call it training loads. Um, it's it's all manipulated by numbers and GPS numbers now. Back in tip and your day and my day at the start, there was no GPSs. By the end of when I was playing, there was certainly GPSs then, but Dunsell didn't have GPS. But you, you get six minutes at the end of training now to do extras. So if you yeah. want to do goal kicking... You have six minutes of goal kicking. Ben Brown had two shots because he went back to ten half back to have his shot, <laughs> and then you're off. the The scoreboard clock's finished, and they said, "Right, everybody in," because you've you've done too much training loads. So it's the whole landscape of, of footy is has changed now, and I that is certainly part of it as well. There's no resi- there's not a lot of resilience in young kids anymore in terms of getting through, pushing through a, a not a soft tissue, but a, a little knock to the knee. Kids just can't do it anymore. It's it's crazy. Who's yeah. setting these things? Because it sounds like such a wank that a player has only got six <laughs> minutes to practice their yeah, goal well, kicking. What are you going to achieve in six minutes? Well, that's I mean, there's there's different weeks, you know, six minute abs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, with six abs. minutes of sit ups, that might be different. But who's setting this agenda? Yeah, it's, Is it's it all done from. Well, it's not done from the. It's the sports. What are they? Sports science. Sports science. Yeah, yeah, sports and, science. And the longevity of it all. I, I do. I get an. I get the point from. Yep. Okay longevity we've got a real young list we've got to you know make sure we don't overwork them early you know i suppose it's like a, a young horse you you push them too hard they break down whereas some young kids thrive on a bit of work and you just gotta yeah it, it's a hard one when you sort of put everyone in the same bunch and say okay no nah, we'll, we'll pull back yeah. you've only got six minutes to do your little bits but i back in my day which was a long time ago but sam mitchell wouldn't come off the track you know how'd he turn out 
He turned out to be one of our best players ever at Hawthorne. You know, Jason Dunster was one always practising his, his um, goal kicking. Even Buddy Franklin, um, you know, at one stage got to a stage where he was always practising his goal kicking, even though he's running around on his huge arc. But he would always be out there um, kicking goals, you know, because you, you do your proper training, you run around and do all that. And then what's the most important thing of the game is to kick goals when you get an opportunity and... Um, yeah, it's all changed a fair bit. Well, what was your strength, Croft? Your oh, fitness? Th- that's right. Did you did you do any extra work at training? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, all that's the time. Even when you you didn't feel like you yeah you, you wanted to because you you'd had f- enough. It's like no, I'll do a bit more because yeah. mentally it gives me the edge. I know that I've done that and that's and, ticked and off. And sometimes week. it was just two, three, maybe even four laps at a at a decent pace, yep. knowing that you've done a little bit more than the opposition coming up this that week. I was I was very similar. So the game's changed, Quinny. The game's changed. Now, getting back to your brothers, you both had brothers that played AFL football, so I'm in huge admiration of them. You two, two of the all-time elite players. What was the difference between you and your brothers? Do you think it was just a talent thing? Did you guys maybe want it a bit more or just circumstantial? Um, Mine wasn't talent because Shane's much more talented than me. Um, He can do things that I haven't seen people do with cricket bat, football, (laughs) basketball. That's actually amazing. Um, My edge, I think, over my brother or over some other people was was work rate and willing to to maybe get better and just improve it all the time. That, I think that was my thing. Um, Did you get frustrated with Shane that he wasn't as driven yeah, as you? Oh, he had two years at North Melbourne with me and it was, it was really frustrating to, to play with him because I was a really hard trainer and he was at the other end of the scale and didn't train very hard at all and relied on talent. Now, we know that talent will only get you certain, a certain way, um, so, sorry, certain distance. So... Yeah, I think work rate for me was my <coughs> was my um, was my bit my my thing. And does he look back now with a little bit of regret that he wasn't a bit oh, more driven? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. When I um, I, I did my book and I had to we had to interview him about about all that sort of stuff. And yeah, he was he looks looks back at that and sees an opportunity missed. He was he was a first round draft pick in that super draft with with Ablett and yeah, that he pick eighteen went to Essen for two years, Kangas for two years, and he was out of the system within four years. So that's just that's that's. Relying on your talent. It's a great reminder, though, for talented youngsters how yeah, quickly it, can, it yep. can turn, how brutal the system can you've got be. To, you've got to be a competitor. All AFL clubs now are looking for competitiveness. You have to be. And my brother was exactly the same. You know, um, He had amazing talent. He was a good cricketer, too. Uh, he was very skilled football-wise, uh, endurance-wise, very good. But just the work ethic wasn't there. Like He left, he went to the Swans um, and... Uh, he played there with uh, – he was emergency for the grand final against you guys, I think yep. it was, against North Melbourne. Um, and he probably should have been in there. Um, but he was playing when Paul Kelly was playing and, and Plugger Lockett was there as well. And then um, and then we did a trade and got him to Hawthorne. So he came to Hawthorne for a year or so. Um, he was going okay, but he could – he still had so much more upside. And that's what I kept saying. He's got so much more upside. And then they offered him a two-year contract – and he said, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm done. So at the age of 22 or 23, he's like, nah, I just, I just, it's not for me. It wasn't so for he him. he took off. He went travelling and and I, I was very much like Boomer. I'm like, are you kidding? What, what a lost opportunity. Because when you're in that football bubble, you think there's nothing else going on in the yeah. world, you know. And especially if you're driven like Boomer, you you know, you just can't understand why people don't think the same way, you know, and, and you used to get frustrated with a lot of your teammates because 
they don't live and breathe it like you do. They don't train like you do. Um, and then obviously, you know, your siblings as well. My brother was very much that situation. But now that you're sort of removed from it, you're like, oh, well, as long as they're happy, as long as they're in a good space That's and they're happy and, and whatever, because not everyone is, you know, everyone's goal is to play AFL football and live in that environment. Or once they have a bit of a taste of it, they're like, oh, no, this is not what I thought it was. Um, and I, I totally agree with Booby. If you're going to recruit anyone these days, go and watch them in the lead-up. Make sure that they've, you know, throw them in against some better players, some more senior players. See what type of attitude they've got, whether or not they're prepared, prepared to just fight through that because they're the ones you want to grab. And not just in the AFL, the NFL, all the big footy codes across the world, it is sort of the thing they can't really measure, the hunger and the thirst for the contest. You can still find it, though. Like, if you watch a player... You, you you can work out. Nah, he's he's got a bit of go on him. This kid, and uh, he hates being beaten. He he doesn't like playing. You know poorly. I, one thing that annoys me, you know, and I even see saw a few Collingwood players yesterday after the game, interacting with Port Adelaide players <laughs> with a smile on their face, and I'm like, nah, nah, I can't cop that. Yeah, I, I cannot cop that. You've just lost by one point, and then little day you're smiling and having a chat. With an old mate. I get it. It's the old mate. Shake their hand, give them a hug, say g'day, but don't have a smile on your face. Don't try and hear what he's got something nice to say. If he's a good mate, give him a call and have a laugh about it in a car. That really (laughs) pees me off big time. And even that landscape's changed, hasn't it? Because it happens so so often now and people people like it and other people people hate it. I'm I'm in the Croft camp. Oh, Makes my blood boil. You've got to hurt. Like yeah. when, when you lose, regardless of how your team's going, if you're like Hawthorne and North Melbourne, you're struggling a bit at the moment, you know, you've got to hurt. It, yeah. Like you, you, you try your very best, but you go home. That week, you've you got to want to get better. You're like, no, I hate feeling like this. We've got, we've got to get better. Come on. So, um, you know, I had um, a, a fitness advisor kept telling me, oh, this player bounces back. He's very resilient. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? And like he bounces back. Oh, not like when he plays poorly, he, he seems to respond and bounce back fairly well. And I'm like, what, he, what does he take it on board or, or he just sort of doesn't really care and he just moves on to the next week and goes, that will be it. So I sort of challenged him on that a little bit. But he, he's just like, no, nah, he, he, he does get dirty with the world, but he finds a way to bounce back and, and you know, claw his way back out you know, to playing well and being a part of it. I know that the current Melbourne captain, Max Scorn, takes losses terribly. But I think that's a great thing. It is. Like, he literally has to get talked out of coming out of his bedroom. He wants to read every paper, find out where it went wrong, find out what everyone thinks. So how's he, how's he gotten through the last few years? <laughs> it's made him resilient, but I think, it, I think it certainly has worked well for the long term. But I worry there's not enough of that. And a coach like Nathan Buckley, who was just such a ferocious competitor, a guy that you both played against many, many times. How would he be thinking in the coach's box? His job's on the line. The season's on the line. They've lost by a point. And I'm not going to say the players didn't look like they didn't care, because I'm sure they did, but there was not a lot of outward emotion from a negative point of view. Well, he's got to be a little bit careful because he's done a massive 360. He, he thought, exactly like Crawford was saying before, not everybody is like Shane or myself or, or mate, but Nathan Buckley. He thought that everybody had to live and breathe football. And it wasn't until he got some pretty solid feedback I'm hearing that he had to change and realise right now not everybody was Nathan Buckley not everyone lived breathed 
eight football like he did. So he had to step away and say, right, we have got some people that just want to be nine, I call them nine to fivers. Come to football training, train solid, train fairly solid, go home and just switch off. Then you've got your leaders that, you know, breathe football all the time. Um, so he's got to be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Nathan Buckley handles those situations now. You played under a couple of coaches, Dennis Pagan, the most famous and the most successful. What was Pagan like? Uh, ruthless. If I was using one word to describe Dennis Pagan, ruthless, in a great way. No, I loved it because I come from the Northern Knights where I had Keith Burns, who was exactly the same. So I had a really good lead in. Um, Dennis was very old school. He couldn't coach as good as he is or was. He couldn't coach in today's football. It's just because he, he couldn't um, and he couldn't adapt, to be quite honest with you. Why he, is that? Uh, just because it's it's different. Like so, so Dennis used to train us. His fitness test was until someone did a hammy. He just prayed to God it wasn't Wayne Carey or, or any of the senior players. If it was one of the twos players tucked away, someone that no one knew too much about, that was okay. Right, yeah, we've had enough now at training. So he was that was that was his preseason method. Um, he trained super super hard, um, and if he's seen something, he would just whack you between the eyes with it, good, bad, or otherwise, and you just have to deal with it. And some of the young kids don't get feedback like that anymore, Croft. No, no, back then too, um, you know. Communication was lacking in a lot of football clubs, but obviously not North Melbourne because the coach is telling him exactly what he thinks at that very moment. And it's funny, we went through a year um, under Alistair Clarkson where he said, we need to train harder and we need to train with contact and we're going to lose some players. He goes... I hope we don't lose <laughs> players, but we've got to. That's the only way we're going to get better is training under intense pressure and we push each other to the limit. So that's very much a Dennis Pagan philosophy. You know, he was obviously doing it way before, um, you know, a lot of the modern coaches. Well, Clarko was at the Kangas, wasn't he? Well, that's but right, yeah. So uh, that's probably where he, he learnt that, is you've got to actually train hard. And unfortunately, some players are going to get injured at some stage. And then so much so that... Towards the end of Mick Moldhouse's um, coaching career, he had a lot of injuries, so he couldn't train them very hard. And what was happening on the field is they were just falling away. Um, you know, they were playing terrible because they obviously weren't able to to train them hard because he was trying to protect them and just carry them through. Whereas, you know, you look at North Melbourne when they were absolute airborne, they were smashing in at training, and then obviously, you know, it was helping their performances out on the field and getting, you know, instant. Um, and hard feedback from the coach there and then, which, you know, would be pretty good these days if you could give, you know, instant and hard feedback straight away. I'd give some Collingwood players some instant hard feedback from what I saw on the weekend after the game. Not necessarily during the game, but after the game. That winter chill is right around the corner, but the AFL is only heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. Boomer, you were at North Melbourne during that magnificent period. You were at the club for two premierships. You played in the 1999 grand final. What was it like during that time? How was it different at the start of your career towards the end? The biggest shift in, um, the, biggest shift in the game for me was going full-time, which I absolutely loved. Um, when I first started, I was going to school. I was completing year 12. Um, I would go to school all day. I'd come home and I'd train on a Monday, 
Tuesday and Thursday at four o'clock at North Melbourne. That was the that was it, and most people worked and come straight to football training. Um, when Dean Laidley came to the football club, he was he was at Collingwood before that, and they had the model of full time. So that was the biggest shift for me coming in and then going to training at eight o'clock in the morning and staying there until four thirty in the Arvo, um, and getting all your meetings, all your weights, all your physio, all your every, everything done in the one day. Come up again and do it all again. Maybe a half a day the next day, then a day off, and then another full couple of days leading into a game. So that was the biggest shift for me, but. Um, the coaching certainly changed in terms of, and I was talking about it just before with Dennis Pagan giving that feedback, just whacking you between the eyes, to now giving you a bit of a pat on the bum um, when you do something wrong. So the shift has all, has all changed. You played under some pretty tough coaches, though, more probably throughout your career, the coaches that would be more likely to give a whack than a cuddle. What was Dean Laidley like? Uh, exactly like Dennis Pagan. So he came, he played under Pagan, obviously, and then went to Collingwood with Mick Malthouse. So he had the two old school coaches who probably used to whack. Oh, I'm not sure about Mick Malthouse, but I know what Dennis Pagan did. So Dean Laidley was was right in the middle. He was exactly the same, but his game plan and his knowledge of the game was outstanding. It was really, really good. Well, Dean Laidley, we know you played a lot of footy with him, and it sounds like you speak very highly of him as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. He's... Um, we knew we knew if if Shane Crawford was playing on the half forward flank and he went to the the back pocket, the coach didn't even have to run the runner out. We just had a plan. It was like we we knew everything that the opposition could have done or were going to do. So his um his pregame meetings and everything were they were interesting, but you just knew and you had confidence in what we could do. Uh, he, I actually seen a photo of our list when Dean Laidley coached us. We made a prelim. You go back and have a look at the list. It wasn't a very talented list. I would rank it maybe 10th or 11th, 12th in the competition that year, and we managed to play in a couple of prelims under him. So I thought he was a super coach. Um, He was a very, very talented coach. Maybe underappreciated then by North fans and the footy media at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I know it didn't end well because he he had to move on and Darren Crocker took over, but um, I was captain at the time. I had a great relationship with him, and I I thought he was a really, really good coach. And Brad Scott, what was he like? My first impression impressions of Brad, I thought he was going to come in and be very Dennis Pagan like and just start whacking blokes. Um, but he was very different. He was he was he nurtured a lot of young kids. He was he was pumping them up and it threw me off guard at the at the, at the start because I thought, oh well, this is not what I expected. He had a ruthless side to him, though. He could turn really quickly and give the old school cook. But he was still very nurturing towards these young kids. Um, he had a really good mix. He had a really good mix. He was, he was a good coach as well. Sounds like you're speaking highly of all of them, which is great. And obviously you had success under all three of them. Not the ultimate success yep. under a few of them. but That's why Dennis is my favourite. That's why Dennis <laughs> is the favourite because he got you that premiership as well. And he traded Derby winner. He, he did. did. He's done it all. He's done well, Dennis. <laughs> Wait till he gets a Melbourne Cup winner. Taking a look at that 99 Premiership, you come up against a Carlton side who caused the upset of the Millennium the week before when they beat the Bombers. Were you preparing to play Essendon? Because you and the Bombers had had some magnificent stouches throughout the last couple of years, and I think the footy public was ready for that title heavyweight mm. fight. I think we got denied that, but you probably weren't complaining at the time. No, I wasn't, Quinny. I um, I was up at the local football watching the local grand final um, play, and I had me Walkman, had the old Walkman in listening to the football, and Colton were winning and or end up winning. I was the happiest person on that day you've ever seen because I knew could we beat um, Essendon? Of course we, of course we could have, but it was going to be a bloody tough game, and I just knew that. 
you know when you've got that one opponent, you think, oh, this is going to be tough, but then you play someone else and you think, this is not as tough? And it was sort of like that for, for me. I don't know what the other boys thought. I'm sure they thought exactly the same thing, but I was very, very happy 21-year-old boy um, listening to that game on the radio. We had Anthony Kudafidis in that chair a fortnight ago, and I said to him at the grand final parade, it felt like the North supporters, it was, we have to win Saturday, we need to win Saturday, we will win Saturday, where Carlton was like, we've just won our grand final. This is yeah. unbelievable. We just beat the Bombers. Did you sense that? Um, no, not because I, I wasn't I wasn't worried about Carlton as much. I was entrenched in what we're trying to achieve, and my big my big thing was I went there in 96 and the boys won the flag in the seniors. I played in the reserves premiership as well. And then 98, we lost. And I just, my thing was, I hope these boys have still got the hunger to, to win. But we brought Cam Mooney, Scott Welsh, Byron Pickett. We had some other players from other clubs that weren't there from 90, 96. So the hunger was there. But playing Carlton going in there, I was I was super confident that we could we could knock them over. So I was probably more entrenched in what we're about than, than really worried about them. They had a great team, that 99 North Premiership side. What was it like playing against the Kangaroos in the late 90s, Craw? Not good. No, especially as a uh, Hawthorne player because we, uh, we were struggling big time. And, um, yeah, and, and you look through the matchups, it's like, okay, you got little Boomer zipping around. It's like, oh, we don't have anyone fast enough to run with him. Wayne Carey, what do we do about him? I don't know. We'll try and put three or four on him. <laughs> Um, he, he was he was a freak, really. When you think about Wayne Carey, when in, when anyone asks me who's the best player you know, that you've you've seen or played against, I'm like Wayne Carey, because he's he seriously could win a match off his own boot. He could have 10, 15 minutes, and he would inspire his team. Um, he'd he'd take those marks. He'd kick goals. He'd he'd just he he was just incredible to play against. And we used to. You know, like every time we'd come up against them, I'm thinking, who, who are we going to put on Wayne Carey? And not only that, we we don't have one person. We need to put two or three, and yet he still would have a huge impact, and it just frees up other players, like the big fridge, yeah. you know. Corey McKernan. Corey McKernan. A- underrated player. So oh, he was. He, he had a patch there where he was just yeah, he was deadly, phenomenal. Wasn't he? Ninety six. Yeah. What year did he? Yeah, it was nineteen ninety six. McKernan was in that triple dead heat with the superstars Michael Voss and James Hurd. The three of them finished on twenty one votes, but unfortunately McKernan was ineligible because he was suspended throughout the season. And unfortunately, maybe we did not see the best of him for long enough because of injuries throughout the course of his career. Yeah. He's a phenomenal player. We, I, I look back now at some photos and stuff, and I, it's it's amazing at the time. At the time, you probably go into a game and look, and you look at you walk into the club rooms before the game, and you see Wayne Carey and Glenn Archer and Steve O and Craig Scholl, and, and the list goes on. And Mick Martin, and you you probably know, yeah, I've got confidence we're going to win today. You look back at it now, we had some underrated players, and I'm talking about the Winston Abrahams, who could kick six in two quarters. Byron Pickett, one of the hardest players I've ever played with. Anthony Stevens, I'm sure you've played John against. John Blakey, John Blakey, Brett Allison, who kicked. Just role Six players, and seven yep. finals. Um, Steve, Steve-O, like, I love playing against Steve-O because, you know what, he'd he just give it all day. You knew he wouldn't stop going, yeah. you know, and you loved him as a player. You loved watching him because you just knew, like, every side needs these real blue-collar workers. And he was one who would just put his body on the line week in, week out, do all the hard stuff, play on, you know, some really good players and take them, you know, take them to town and... Loved a yap, you know, good country boy. <laughs> loved a yap out there, just like you know, hard, straight away. He yeah, was yeah. he he was. A, everyone talks about Glenn Archer, you know, and, and those type of players from North Melbourne. 
But Anthony Stevens, you know, you can't get much harder than him. I, you go and have a look at what he used to do and the way he used to yeah. put his body on the line for that team. He was a, a bloody underrated player, even though, um, you know, North Melbourne absolutely have him right up the top. But from a, an opposition player and someone who loves footy, you know, he'd be picked in my team every week, absolutely. He was, uh, he's probably my favourite ever teammate, Steve-O, just because he had the cheesy grin on his yes. face all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Went through some... Adversity, obviously. Um, you know, the glass nearly killed him, with the, yeah. slashed him, and just bounces back and just smiles at you. And when someone smiles at you, you just smile back at him. He's uh, the cheesy grin. He's, he's unbelievable. But walking into the football club, he stood out like a beacon to me. So you do lame work, and he wouldn't go back and sit behind the three blokes that it was waiting. He would just go and you'd you'd go to mark the ball, and Steve would run past you again and, and mark the ball and, <laughs> and kick it, and he'd do it up the other end and. He was a madman at training, and it's exactly the way he played. Um, had some good role models when I first got to the football club. Yeah, some great role models. I mean, you went into a team that was really successful on the field, but just had a lot of guys that did everything the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they didn't do everything the right way because they used to love a beer at the start too. <laughs> it was a very social environment, North Melbourne. It yeah. was. Yeah. They, well, we had every year out of the forty-four blokes on the list, forty-two would go on the footy trip. Um, we had we had big which is unheard trips. of, could yeah. you, really, because some of them have to put their own money up and. A lot of footballers are reasonably <laughs> tight. So to have a, virtually a whole list out there is uh, it's pretty incredible to do. And a lot of the opposition teams are very jealous because you've got this team that's dominating on field, but also off the field, they, they're tight. They're sticking together. And how big was Wayne Carey with that? Uh, he was the leader. Yeah, he loved it. I can remember, I can remember one of the young boys uh, didn't go, or weren't, wasn't going on the football trip. <laughs> and he said, why, why aren't you going? And he said, because I'm buying a house. He said, well, you can't afford to go on the footy trip, don't buy a house. He came on the footy trip, the young fella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if he ended up with a house on the cross, but he was on every football, tri- uh, every football trip. But he was, he was a leader, and not only for the footy trip stuff, but the boys would go and play on a Friday night. They'd have a few beers on a Friday night, go do recovery on a Saturday at the pool. Then they'd get together for lunch and a beer on a Saturday. would still be going Saturday night, probably even a couple of beers on the Sunday. Then come the training mm-hmm. on Monday thinking, oh, I've, got, I've got the edge over these guys. They've been on the drink for two days. Nah, they used to smash it. Wayne Swass, these type of guys, Craig Scholl, they used to love a beer, but they trained like they didn't have a beer, a drop of beer on the weekend. And that's the thing about Wayne Carey that I don't think a lot of people really appreciate, his thirst for hard work and everything like that. Yeah. See, he was a, he was a freak. I used to do the 3.2k run. I, I bet him around Optus Oval once, and I was a midfielder. He was, he was a workhorse through, natu- naturally gifted, obviously, but he, he didn't rely on that. He worked super hard. Personality-wise, what was it like walking into the rooms when you got there as an 18-year-old who was drafted in the third round, and you see King Carey there? Was he welcoming? Did he make it clear that it's his team, but you can be a part of it. What was he like behind the scenes? I was 17, Quinny, and I was 64 kilos. And I walk into the football club my first day, you look and you see Glenn Archer, Wayne Carey, Mick Martin, Ian Fairley, Craig Scholl, all these guys are 100 kilos, um, big boys. Um, it was really daunting. Um, well, no, Wayne didn't really make it clear like it was his football club and only he was welcoming like, like everybody else. Um, we had... Yeah, he had a bit of an ego because he walked out with his chest. And Dennis had a saying, be bold, brash and arrogant. 
Now that's the way the the Kangas played through that nineties period, um, but he wasn't he wasn't alone. He had some he had some teammates that were following in every footstep. But it was sort of that swagger that I think probably yeah. went a long way to ensuring the team was so successful. And as you said, Croft, you're always dreading coming up against North because they were so good and they knew it. Yeah, well, absolutely. They used to flog us by a lot, and we used to play Friday night matches. I'm like, this is not good. Come on, boys, come on, come on, let's go. But um, but yeah, but but even the voice, you know, as we were all walking out into position. You know, they'd just be up and about. You just knew, okay, they're on. Um, Jonathan Brown from Mel, uh, from Brisbane was like that. You know, he'd, he'd rant and rave a bit, which was, you know, which is good because it gets his teammates up and about. But yeah. Mick Martin, I remember Mick Martin. We <laughs> played North Melbourne at Waverley. And after the game, there was two Hawthorne players and two North Melbourne <laughs> players had to do drug tests. And I was one of them. Um, so I went into the uh, the spare toilets with the drug tester. And so in there's Mick Martin. And I don't know the other players, but Mick had a, an engagement party or a wedding on that night. And um, and he said, oh, can I go first? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, but the thing is, after a game, you need to be hydrated. And when you give a sample, it's got to be a certain amount. Um, and it can't be too dehydrated. Otherwise, they won't take the test. So I said, no worries. I said, I'm still very dehydrated. You, you do whatever you need. So there, there was, you know, like um, there was water and even beer. They gave you beer back then. Um, really? Yeah, for a, a drug test. So, so we were just drinking, trying to get ready to go because we all wanted to leave. And everyone else had gone, you know. There was no cars left. Everyone had left um, Waverley. And so Mick goes first, and then he comes back out, and then he sits back down. And I said, what are you doing, Mick? And he's like, he goes, oh, I was so dehydrated, not a lot came out, so I have to wait until oh, I'm ready to go no. again. So he ended up being last out of the four of us, and even then he wasn't ready to go, so he was going to be very, very late for the wedding or for the engagement party. So he was furious, but uh, I'll never forget that. And every time I see him, I remind him, <laughs> because he was filthy. Like he was literally, thought he was doing the right thing, thought he could get... You know, on his way, but uh, wasn't the case. There's always one teammate <laughs> that the boys put put a bit of uh, crap on. Uh, Mick Martin, I've never heard somebody cop it as much as Mick. So m- mumbles Mick because he used yep. to used to mumble when he talked. But um, the boys got into him, and he had the worst comebacks ever. So you'd be bad. The boys would be barging him. Shannon Grant, this is the funny one. He's Shannon Grant. Um, this is. Uh, Craig Scholl would be bagging Mick Martin and he'd just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about Shanker's shoes? And that's it. He always tried to deflect, but it was just, Mick, that's not funny. You can't just deflect like that. That winter chill is right around the corner, but the AFL is only heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your same-game multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. It was a magical period at North Melbourne. Obviously ended suddenly, abruptly, and very sadly with the well-publicised affair. What are your thoughts of that day when it all came out? Um, it was, yeah, it was... It was say big would probably be an understatement. Um, it put our football club back four or five years, just not not in terms of just Wayne leaving, but just everything. You know, Anthony Stevens became the captain. Did he need did he need to be captain with everything going on? Um, there was a big divide in the group because people, you know, this and that. I, my, my initial thought was uh, it's not true. And then once you find out that, you know, something happened, it's, 
it's like, wow, wow. We lost our, not only our best player, but our captain, probably one of the greatest players ever to play our game. That's hard to digest as a young kid that's trying to win flags and, you know, do everything. And it was big, Quinny. It was big. Um, the press conference, there was people on top of cars. There was people in trees taking photos of, of a group that did nothing wrong. We were just going to the, to the presser to, you know. Um, it was mind-blowing. And when you think about it, I heard somebody tell a story not too long ago, actually. The, when the 9-11 happened, I think the first 17 pages of the Herald Sun was about 9-11, when that happened, I think the first 19 pages was about was about that. It was just, at the time, it was, was huge. And you look back now and you just think, wow, that was that was a time that you probably don't want to go through again at a football club. What was the first meeting like afterwards? What was said? To be to be honest with you, and I'm not saying this because I don't know, but I actually don't know. Like, I'd, it feels like just a big blur now and just a bit of a rolling sort of blur that, that happened. We knew that we're going to lose a, a very good player. And um, we had to move on, and it's hard to do. That was that was hard to do. But to be to be honest with you, I, I don't know what that first meeting was like. What was your relationship with like with Kerry after that, and what's it like now today? Uh, yeah, we we still speak. I do a little bit of radio on on match day with with um, ABC. So we um, we cross paths. There's normally just a piece of glass dividing you. So you knock on the glass and give him a wave, and you see him there. You you shake his hand. Done a couple of appearances with him. Um, we're not best mates, but I'm not best mates with. With some of the older guys anyway because I had my own sort of click group that I was that I was with um, but yeah I see him I say g'day I'm also a massive Anthony Stevens fan absolutely love the bloke like I said before probably my favourite teammate I've ever played with um, yeah so yeah it was, it was tough they say time heals all wounds it's now two decades removed from that premiership what's it like when the team catches up and do you think it's going to get better as the years go by no it certainly has I think the 10 year reunion wasn't great but then the 20 year reunion was was okay so Steve-O's and this is why I love Steve-O so much because he's he's about everybody else he doesn't want he'll shake Wayne's hand and say g'day to him at the function because he doesn't want the 16 other blokes sitting in the corner thinking oh have a look at this have a look at this so he goes I'm Shakes his hand, says good day, and then I don't think they're ever going to be best mates. That's my opinion. I don't, actually don't know if Steve O speaks to him or or not, but um, he's he's a bigger man than I'll ever be, Anthony Stevens. That's for sure. And guys like Glenn Archer, how important were they in sort of bringing the team together on the back of that, both immediately and the years yeah. that followed? Well, well, that's what happens. That's what that's what the boys do, and um, I think Arch might have been the one that that brought them together to say, you know, we've got to be amicable in this situation because there's so many people walking on eggshells. So the boys are the boys are fantastic. Oh, everyone loves Wayne because who he was and who he is and, and Steve-O's the most lovable person in the world. So I don't think anybody's taken teams, so to speak. Um, so the reunion, the last reunion we went to was one of the best days I've ever had. Um, it was fantastic. And there was no, oh, well, what's going to happen here? There was There was nothing. It's awesome. And Crawford, you've got your 20-year reunion not too far away, a couple of years to go under the bridge yet. But how great is it to get the team back together and to talk about that magical day and catch up with the boys that I'm guessing you don't speak to on a day-to-day basis? It is. You don't really talk about that day, though, a great Mm. deal. It's more or less what's going on, where are you, you know, because um, footy clubs are are funny because once you move away, everyone gets on, I suppose it's like when you finish school, everyone goes out into the big wide world and they get on with their life and head in all different directions. Some stay in football, some, you know, move interstate, overseas, wherever. So it's more or less catching up and and it's more respect that you have for each other and the hard work that you all put in. And um, 
you know, there's there's nothing like a, a nice tight group, and obviously North Melbourne had that. Um, you know, when you're going and training and and living um, virtually in each other's back pockets, and then to achieve you know a grand final and win, um, just that that respect and love you have for each other, and just knowing that if there's any weak links, we don't win. That's that's how it all works. So uh, it's always nice to to see everyone and you just want everyone to be doing well you know you know because life's challenging so you just hope that you know sometimes you'll have players who might be going through some tough periods it might not want to come and you got to make sure hang let's let's get everyone there because by the end of the day as boomer said everyone's had a great day reconnecting sometimes it it boosts a few players spirits other players are like just the life of the party other players are just like how good is it that we're all back yeah. together again? So, um, you know, it's always nice, like a, a school reunion. Now, we're going to end with something positive for Kangaroo supporters because it's been a challenging 2021, <laughs> probably a challenging 2020 as well, <laughs> but you're still involved with the club and I dare say what doesn't get mentioned enough is some of the good young talent North does have and I dare say they'll be the players that the fans will be looking at over the next couple of years to hopefully get North back into finals contention. What are you most bullish and optimistic about with with the Kangaroos going forward. Tell us about a player or two we can keep an eye on. Oh, I think there's there's a couple, Quinny. We've actually got a a really good young list at the minute, and I'm bullish about it because that's my job. I work with the first and second years as a as a mentor and and somebody that can help them along the way. But I've been lucky enough to work with some other some other young kids, and I've just scribbled some names down because I knew this question was coming, right? <laughs> and and I look at Simkin, Dumont. Luke McDonald, these kids are all now 24, 25. So in two years, they're going to be 26, 27 years old. But the, the group underneath them of Zerha, Larky, Davies Uniac, Curtis Taylor, Benny Mackay, Taryn Thomas, Jack Marnie, Bailey Scott, there's a lot of young kids there. I think we've drafted super well this year. There's a young kid that I'll mention in a minute who I think is going to be a superstar. Um, probably needs to get a bit bigger and stronger. But Will Phillips, we took with our first pick. He's been a little bit slower than North Melbourne fans have probably anticipated, but he's, he's a leader. He's got that competitiveness that we were talking about before. So he's going to be around for a, a long, long time and be a leader of our football club. Tom Powell, right? Elite hands. Tom Powell. Tom Powell. So he's played every game for us so far. He's had a couple of good ones and a couple of quiet ones. But I haven't seen a kid come through the system with decision-making and his ability to get his hands free and dish it out to his teammates. In Cunnington style, yeah? Well, he's, got, he's a bit different than Cunners because Cunners is such a big boy and Pally's a little bit skinny and um, skinnier, but his hands are, are as... They're not as good as Cunners as yet, but could easily get there. So he's um, he's fantastic. Charlie Lazaro, who's also played every game except for one, I think. Um, small little crafty forward. So there's three players that are playing right now that have all played a handful of games uh, in their first year. Then we Eddie Ford, Phoenix Spicer and, and Paddy Walker are the two that we are the other three that we drafted that haven't played. And then two guys that we drafted a couple of years ago, Flynn Perez, who's just done a knee, I think he's gonna be a really good half back flanker. Um, great ball user. And that's probably what North Melbourne's lacked at the minute. Then we've got a big guy, big Charlie Comden. Um, and he's got I'll choose my words wisely here, Croft. He's got some grunt 
in him yeah. that I haven't cool. seen before in a, in a big guy. I'm talking crashing and bashing plays. Bumford style. A, a very, very, very similar. Without the sausages. Without the sausages. He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a big boy, but his competitiveness is something that I haven't seen in the first year, in his second year now. But unfortunately, he has had a lot of um, setbacks already with, with injury. And I think it's going to stay that way because he's a collision player, but um, he's got competitiveness written all over him. So we've got a bunch and, and a bunch, I'm not talking six or seven, I'm talking 13 or 14 young kids coming through our system right now that I'm super, super bullish about. And if there is a positive to be taken from 2021, you're getting games into them Correct. and you're getting another very, very top draft pick this year. Yeah, and who knows what's going to happen with the mid-season draft. Do, do we take someone there? Uh, I'm not 100% sure how that all's going to pan out, but but it looks like it looks like we're going to finish very low on the on the ladder. Hopefully we don't. Hopefully we win a few more games along the way, but we're going to bring another good player into our football club and with the ability to on trade and things like that who knows what's going to happen and then we've got we, we have got some cash there so we'll probably try to bring a free agent in uh, and bring another good player in so I think it's about bringing young kids into our football club and then maybe grabbing another another player but I don't think it should be a 27 or 28 year old this is only my opinion I'm not on this management by the way I think we the, the free agent needs to be a 24 25 year old who can add to our young Youthful list. Has it been a blessing in disguise that you didn't get one of those big fish that you've been in the market for the last couple of years? Um, if it's panned, if it pans out like the way it has, maybe, yeah, because then you know he moves on when this group's probably going to come through. Um, but like I said, I think that free agent that they they could potentially look at needs to be the 24, 25 year old who is still there in five years when hopefully we're in that premiership. And if you we did don't. get Dustin Martin, he might have been handy at some stage. Oh, I think he would have been okay. <laughs> I'm sure. But they're doing it the right way. Like so, some clubs patch together. You know, the Swans did it last year, played a lot of young kids. They had injuries, but they just kept playing them. And, and you can see, you know, the improvement this year. That's the right way to do it. All those young kids, bring them together. And the thing is, if they grow together, they'll want to stay together as well. So not only do you get some really good players and hopefully a really positive team that's winning all the time and not just winning playing finals, you're winning flags. That, that That's yep. the key is you don't want to be competitive. You don't want to, yeah, start winning again. You actually want to win a couple of flags. But you're keeping – you're building from the ground up. So – which is very hard to do in AFL worlds these days because a lot of sides just want to keep reasonably competitive. And, you know, if you're comparing North Melbourne and Hawthorne at the moment, North Melbourne's uh, younger kids coming through – you know, there's there's more potential there. So Hawthorne have got to try and find a way and, and you know, to to rejuvenate the list as well. So um, I think they're doing it the right way. They are. And we've seen some, I reckon, a last, take last, yes, last or yesterday out of it, but last week a good win. Before that, they were building to something. Yep. So there's been gradual improvement and they're getting exposure on good players. If ever you're going to learn, you're going to learn playing on some good players we're going to teach you how to run a bit harder, to be a bit tougher. And so pre-season-wise, it's so, so beneficial. And you find out where they're at and what they're capable of doing. They're and doing I it think the right way now, but they had not been doing it the right way. And I'm still bitter no, about true. the fact that that's they true. pushed you out the door in 2016 yeah. when you were playing so well. And then brought in players in the late 20s, early 30s that were nowhere near as good as you. And I'm like, well, hang on. Why are you moving on Boomer? Why are you moving on Ferrito? Why are you moving on Del Santo? And then you're getting in guys that are in a similar age bracket. Yeah, we've got our, our list management. Those people involved then are, are no longer at the football club. So that's a, I mean, that's a good thing because people can say, oh, well, they're gone now. We can move on from that. But we've got um, those young guys. And the, the guy in charge now, David Noble, 
is super as well. I absolutely love him. I think he's on the right path. I think he's going to be a career coach at North Melbourne for a very long time. And don't get me wrong, he's a winner. He's a competitor, and he loves winning. Hates losing, which is which is a trait that you need. But at the same time, he's not delusional. He knows we're we're not going to play finals this year. He he knows that we're as much as he wants to win every game. He knows we're not going to win the flag in twenty twenty one. So it's how he does it and how we get through this small period, like Croft was just speaking about, and uh, and getting us getting us going forward. Boomer, we've loved having you here today. We're going to finish with two questions before we get Shane's uh, tips for the weekend. <laughs> Favourite win you played in outside of a grand final and who was your toughest ever opponent? And if you wore number nine for Hawthorne, we can just exit that one. I, I, I never put up my hand to play on I can assure you. I'm like, no, I'm not playing on him. No way. No, 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 Crawford and I, I think only Yelly might have crossed paths out in the wing one day. It's um, a couple of times, but he was too fit for me to, to keep up with him. So I never put my hand up for him either. Don't worry about that. That was Steve-O's job most of the time. Um my hardest opponent would probably be, and I know people probably want me to say Ryan Crowley, but it, it wasn't, um, it would probably be Sean Hart, the Brisbane Lions. So when I went into a game and, and researched my, my opponent, if I was I was playing on Croft, I might think, well, his endurance is super. Is he quick? Not as quick as some of the other players, so maybe I'll be able to get off him. And that was the Cameron Ling thing. So Cameron Ling was very, very fit and run at the same pace all day, but wasn't very quick. So I would try to use my pace on that day. I was okay at both. I was I was quick, but I had fairly good endurance as well. Then you come up against someone that's really quick. So you think, right, I won't use my speed as much, but I'll run around all day. Well, Sean Hart had both, and you couldn't get off him. He was super disciplined. Um, he was quick. He didn't care too much about the, the football because he had a job to, to negate you. So he was one that I played on two or three times, and I just didn't beat him at all. Um, and my favourite win, my favourite win out of outside of a premiership would Probably have to be the Jason McCartney game. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Richmond. It was yeah. unbelievable. Like, there was a handful of us that knew that he was going to retire after the game, leading into it. And I say a handful, and I, I talked three or four plays in the leadership type of group that said he was going to announce that um, his retirement after the game. So we knew it was going to be the last time he played. But it was the build up. And I seen firsthand what he did to get back. Now, I ain't lying to you when I say there was zero chance he should have played AFL football again. Dean Laidley came out and said, I'm not just giving Jason, to, to us, not the media, I'm not just giving Jason McCartney a game because of what's happened, right? So Dean's a ruthless type of coach. I've seen Jason McCartney come to training when he shouldn't be training with full skin body and standing one and a half metres away from a, a coach and was handballing because he had no movement in his elbows or knees because all the, the, the skin grafts that he went through now, I'm talking he did an hour and a half of preparation before training to do his 15 handballs a metre and a half away from, from a coach. Then come in and reverse the system to go and shower, take your, skin, take your skin suit off, shower, lather back up with new ointment. It was another hour and a half of preparation just to put his clothes back on. So we're talking three hours of preparation to do 15 handballs at the start. That's where he was at. So there was no way known he was playing VFL football or AFL football, which is another... 20 levels above that and to see him come through and get an opportunity on the back of playing some great football in the VFL and playing kicking a goal setting up the last goal which potentially won the game for us and knowing he was going to retire at the end of that was was mind-blowing and amazing and something that I changed my whole game and preparation on I thought I was a great preparer Um, it wasn't until I seen Jace do three hours of preparation to do 15 handballs that I thought 
my preparation's terrible. I need to take this to another level. And for those that are new to the podcast and might not be across the AFL footy, Jason was nearly killed in the Bali mm. bombing. So it was an act of God he was still breathing, let Correct. alone a professional athlete again. Yeah, the first day I went and seen him in hospital, he said, I'll see you in training in a couple of months. And I'm like, Jace, mate, make sure you wake up tomorrow. And, and, and exactly that, a breathing uh, before you worry about your football stuff. But wow, it was a... If you haven't read his book, do yourself a favour, listeners, and, and, and go grab his book. It's it's very, very inspirational. Yeah, it's quite an incredible story. And uh, well that was a that was a great one. I'm glad I'm glad we asked you that one because that was probably not one that would spring to mind immediately with a lot of footy fans, but something that meant so much and the emotion of those kangaroos players that night was simply sensational. We get the win. It's a bit of a fairy tale in the end for, for Jason, our football club, but to get to win and put your arms around each other and sing the song is the best part of football Crawford, isn't it? And uh, to do that when you know it's gonna be his last one was was pretty cool. No, wonderful way to end the podcast. We've loved having you today, Boomer. So thank you very much for joining us. Good luck with the hamstring, man. Yeah, I'll get that right, Croft. I'll have a couple of weeks off. I Can you believe that, hey? <laughs> First hamstring after about 500 games. I just turned 43, Croft, so it's... Um the first game of football I played after I turned 43, so maybe that's the... Mate, age's got nothing to do with it, mate. You know that. It's Careful, all about he'll try heads. and recruit you down to your club. <laughs> hey, not now, he's got a hand. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think you can still find a spot for him. I think he'd still move a little bit better than, than a few. <laughs> all right, Croft, let's find a winner. What have you got for us this weekend? Well, What's Boomer's your best, not going to like this. Like, St Kilda have to win against North Melbourne. So, surely, surely they bounce back. Like, they've had... What is it? Three losses over seventy or eighty points, maybe even four this year, which is quite traumatic, really, for St Kilda supporters after the year they had uh, last year and the expectations coming in, into this year. They were very good the week before against Geelong. They just didn't kick well, um, so I thought they had a chance to win that on the weekend. I don't know what happened. So, you know, sometimes you can just put a line through it and go, okay, something just didn't go right this week. They, I fear them if they lose this week because um, the St Kilda supporters are going to turn the world upside down. So St Kilda for me will win um, and I'm going to do it again. My multi is going to be obviously St Kilda to win into against my beloved Hawks the Suns to beat the Hawks. I just think the Suns will run them off their legs. We've got a lot of young kids in and it's up in Darwin. So Hawthorne are playing the, the Gold Coast Suns up in Darwin and even on the Gold Coast, it's a different type of heat. It takes a while to adapt, you know, the, the slippery conditions, the different heat. But then going to Darwin's a totally different level. Um, so I just, I'm sure they'll prepare the best they possibly can, but I just, I fear for this week for the Hawks. I know they'll try, but um, so I, don't, I just don't think they can win. So the Suns to win and the Saints uh, in the multi, but then the Saints for me are the best bet. So here's the headline. Welcome to Inside 50 with Hawks legend Shane Crawford and North <laughs> Melbourne legend Boomer Harvey. And the best week from Crawford is both the Hawks and Kangaroos <laughs> to lose comprehensively this weekend. You've got to be realistic. And as Boomer <laughs> said, it's all about developing young kids. And, and Hawthorne are now in that a similar situation as well. But I think the Suns are going okay. I think they're not a bad side. And St Kilda, we expect them to be up near the finals. And sometimes you have weeks like they did last week and you look for the response and you'll get one this week. Bet with your head and not your heart's the other way to yeah. put it. It's been great fun as always, Croft. Thank you. Thanks, mate. And Boomer, absolutely love seeing you. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, boys. And punters, you've been listening to Inside 50. That winter chill is right around the corner, but the AFL is only heating up. 
And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab. Long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858.